Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that helps you lead your family in defending the Christian message. It's the Think Pod 12 Days of Christmas, 12 current cultural challenges answered with timeless biblical truth by me and some of my friends. For more content like this, be sure to follow all our guest hosts and join the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. So Merry Christmas from the Think Institute and Happy 2022. Welcome. I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and I'm a professor of philosophy and religious studies at Arizona State University. And I have on my Sun Devils shirt today on purpose because you're going to hear, be hearing from a Sun Devil about how can we know if Christianity is true. Now, I have a, a book out recently available on Amazon, The Beginning of Philosophy, General Revelation, and the wisdom literature. And I think you'd like that. I think that will show you go through the, the connection between how scripture understands philosophy and the kinds of questions that philosophers ask and, and how they answer them if they are seeking wisdom. And so you might anticipate, where does philosophy begin? What's the beginning of wisdom? So we're asking this question today, what is, or how do we know if Christianity is true? I have some notes for you, which I'll go through together. Let me share them. How can we know Christianity is true? What a, what a good time of year to be asking that question. Um, and it kind of comes out of this background, especially thinking about this as a university professor. Is it even still ethical to believe in Christianity? I mean, isn't that like believing the Iliad is true? Not the, not the general framework like, oh, there was a Trojan War, but you really believe there are these gods involved in helping one side or the other and, and miraculous events like, like uh, Hector being told he'll be invincible you still believe that stuff? How, how would you know if that stuff's true? It seems like it isn't true. Like we would know for sure the opposite. It isn't the case. What you might try to do is you get out of Christianity some nice feelings towards other humans or some nice ideas of how to behave towards other humans, but don't believe them, the other stuff. So are you failing somehow? If you believe Christianity is true, you're living still in like the medieval ages. Maybe you you romanticize the the medieval ages like some do today, and you just wish, oh, I, I wish I could live back there. And uh, and so you your your view that way, and you say, yeah, this guy just thinks the medieval ages were were all the best, the superstitions, and he still lives that way now. Is that what's going on with Christians? No, I don't think so. Let's consider the parts of this question. Really, it's an epistemological question. How can we know? We want knowledge. That's what epistemology studies. How can we know? And really, that'd be a question of how can we know anything at all? Now, when we when we know something, we're talking about having a belief. You have a, a proposition. Let's say Christianity is true. That's a proposition. God is real. Christ is the Messiah. And you want to know, well, how would I know it's true? Well, you'd, you'd give an argument to show it's true. And you'd have premises that support a conclusion. So what are we doing? What kind of argument will we give for Christianity? Do you need a time machine or something to go back in time and see if the tomb was really empty? Well, that's one one way that people try to answer the question. They, They say you need a special religious experience. And if you just had that special religious experience, then you too would know that Christianity is the case. And many people today report having had special religious experiences. But of course, People in other religions also report having had special religious experiences that support their religions. So then what is it like? You just have a a neutrality, like they even each other out. 
this one says religious experience, this one says religious experience, and you're just kind of like, okay, well, I believe mine, you believe yours, and you go your own way. Well, then we haven't answered the question, how can we know? Others might try to adjudicate that between religious experiences by going to evidences, evidences that demand a verdict or evidences on which you can build a case for Christ. And they might go from their own experience. They might say, well, I was an atheist and I looked into it to disprove it and I ended up becoming a Christian. And here's the arguments I followed. And they might have sound arguments, but they might also have unsound arguments. But notice that that's the thing you look for. As I said, in epistemology, you're looking for arguments. And so they'll build a case from the evidences. Now, the evidence is, is like the empty tomb. And you're, you're going along and you see the tomb is empty and therefore you conclude. But notice the therefore takes you beyond the tomb. It takes you beyond the evidences. You're, you're deriving a meaning from them. And that's really what you need to do because the same evidences can be interpreted differently. I, what I notice, say, with the uh, uh, atheist isn't simply that the atheist says the tomb wasn't empty. I mean, some might, but the atheist says, yeah, it was empty because, and they give some, some answer for it. And you can look into that and say, well, their answer is unsound, and you, you, you go back and forth with arguments. But really what they can say at the end of the day is, look, the tomb was empty. We really don't know why. A lot of weird stuff happens even today in medicine where we think someone's dead and they're not. And so who knows? But it was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't really affect me today. So there they have the evidence and they're giving another interpretation. Or we might have, say, the, the Hindu interpretation. Jesus was one of the great uh, incarnations of Krishna. Or the Buddhist interpretation. He's one of the great teachers, one of the great Buddhas who teaches the world. So the evidences aren't enough, and, and and you have to get to the next one, which is how do we interpret the evidence? And what's happening then is you're drawing on information you already have, things you already know to interpret it. So, for example, when in Luke 24, when when two of the disciples are walking after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, Jesus starts to walk with them, and they don't recognize him, and he asks them what they're talking about. And they say, well, these things that have happened in Jerusalem, they describe how some, some of their other disciples had discovered the tomb is empty. And he says, fools, and slow to understand all that was written in Moses and the prophets. There's things you should have known already that would help you make sense of this. So you're not even surprised at all. You don't even need to go to the tomb because you say, uh, yeah, of course, the Messiah comes back from the dead. Death can't contain him. Remember Psalm 118? Etc. Remember Genesis chapter 3? So, interpretation of evidence is what we're looking for when we ask about Christianity, not evidence itself. And then especially what we're really doing there is using reason to form arguments, to know basic things. And within this question, how to know Christianity is true, is the idea that God is real. That's, that's a prior problem. You come to the Christianity problem knowing God is real. And you come to Christianity knowing that there's sin, which begins in unbelief, failing to know what you should about God. And those two together are what then help you make sense of the cross and the resurrection. So that gets us to the metaphysical part. And, and I mean, in reason, as a laws of thought, what you're doing is you're, you're saying, you're distinguishing God from non-God. God is God. God isn't non-God. And the systems of the world 
have all replaced God with non-God, for example, right? So we're, we're uh, going to get into that here in the metaphysical section. Another part of the question, so first part was epistemology. Second part is, how do we know Christianity is real? Because there's a little bit of a, of a uh, ambiguity in the question here. How do we know Christianity is true, but Christianity is a system of beliefs is what it's asking. So how do we know those beliefs are true or reflect reality? That's what metaphysics asks. What is real? How can we know what is real? What is permanent, unchanging, eternal? And what is not permanent, changing, temporal? And so we're using reason as the laws of thought to say, well, look, what's eternal is eternal. I mean, that might seem simple, but the, the systems of the world have all gone astray on that. What's eternal is eternal. What is eternal is not non-eternal. Confusing the non-eternal and the eternal is the fundamental mistake at the heart of world systems. Eternal means having had no beginning not merely having no end, because you might say, my soul is eternal. Well, what you mean is your soul is everlasting, had a beginning and it goes on. Here we mean, what has existed from eternity? And what Christianity says is, God only has existed from eternity. God is God. God is not non-God. You're using reason here about basic things. And, and you might say, hey, I got that down. Let's go on. People make a little mistake here at the basic level, and it reverberates through the whole system. Now, everything is either God or not God. Here, instantly, here we have the three laws of thought. A identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. Everything is either God or it's not God. And that's what we're trying to know. Is God real? And I think these two things are going to get us to Christianity. The reality of God and the reality of sin. Christianity is saying something different about that than the non-theistic religions, of course, because they don't even think God is real. And then the other theistic religions, which say there's no need for the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So that's the metaphysical part that we're asking. I'm going to give some suggestions about how we can show those things are true. But then the third part really is a kind of ethical part. Is Christianity true? Isn't It's not really like asking uh, how many times have the Yankees won the World Series, and you get an information, oh, okay, interesting. It's not a matter of information. It's a mat It's an existential problem. It shapes how you're going to live your life. What should I do? How should I then live? Do I accept or reject Christianity? And that's going to follow from one and two here, right? One, the epistemological part. Well, I can know it's true. Not only can I, I can and should know it's true. And then secondly, what is it saying? What are these claims that I think are true? Well, the claims, especially about God and redemption. Let me add that in here. Sin, the reality of sin beginning in unbelief. And that redemption is only... Through, I'm going to use this phrase on purpose, the Lamb of God. Because this references, gives us a picture of both Old and New Testament, biblical Judaism, as well as Christianity, and what was signified all those years of sacrifices at the temple, what was being taught and reminded so many times. And uh, interestingly, when you hear about the shepherds of Bethlehem, 
in the fields, these were most likely the fields used to graze the sheep that we used at the temple. So here these shepherds are tending for the, so to speak, lambs of God. And then it's announced to those shepherds who the Lamb of God is. The Lamb of God has come. So these are claims about reality and what's real. And that's going to be what we're asking about Christianity. We're not mostly asking about third level things that Christians have disagreed about. We're asking, is God even real? That's Genesis 1.1. And then how should I live my life in light of that truth? So these are the things we're asking. The parts of the question, is Christianity uh, true? Now, I'm going to take 1 Corinthians 2.2. That's just basic to this. Paul says something there. For I determined not to do anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, you could take this in a narrow, literal sense and say, so Paul just walks around and says, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. No. This is a whole system. This summarizes the entire Christian faith. Why was Jesus, the Savior, Christ, anointed one, crucified? That's what we want to know. That's really, And he's saying, I don't want to know anything else except for that. Who is this anointed one? who saves, why was he crucified? And saved here often gets turned into simply something like saved from a future heck to go to a future heaven. And that's not what he's talking about. Came to give eternal life. So we find Jesus in John 17, 3. This is his high priestly prayer. He taught us the Lord's prayer, and then he exemplifies it in John 17. And he prays this, that, This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is what he came to save us from unbelief, not knowing God, to be saved, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That connects up with 1 Corinthians 2.2. That's what we want to know. We ask, is Christianity true? And so... Now, with all that prelude, let me get down to this. Romans 1.20. Paul, in Romans, is giving a systematic theology of the Christian faith, and he begins it not by jumping into justification or predestination. He, he begins it with this. The invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Unbelief is without excuse. That's where it begins. The need for justification or sanctification is because of the reality of unbelief, being without excuse. In Hebrews 11, we find the definition of faith as evidence of things not seen. And then it goes on right away to say, by faith, we understand that the world was created. So this idea of faith here, faith is not contrary to reason. Like, how do I know Christianity is true? Because I have blind faith. Someone told me it's true, so I believe it's true. That's not what we're told to do. Faith is when you, it's not, it's not, it's in contrast to sight, not in contrast to reason. I don't need faith that I have a computer in front of me. I see it. But I have faith in things I don't see. And those begin with this. Hebrews 11 starts here. And so does Romans 1. The creation. The physical creation that I see reveals what I don't see, but I can reason to. 
the reality of God. And he begins with the eternal power of God. Only God is eternal. Only God has existed from eternity. As you look into the systems of the world, you'll see how they replace that truth with something else. You might say, well, not the theistic religions. Yeah, right. So that's correct. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam disagree about that Lamb of God. Do you need the Lamb of God? What Was the Lamb of God just what went on at the temple? Is there no Lamb of God at all? Or is the Lamb of God the Messiah? So yeah, they disagree about that. So they disagree about the reality of sin. And if you're to figure out, is Christianity true among the theistic religions? Well, that's what you'd have to settle. That you need vicarious atonement because of the reality of vicarious meaning atonement through another, the death of another. And from there, you wouldn't be surprised about the empty tomb because the Messiah doesn't have sin and death was imposed due to sin. Therefore, the Messiah would not stay dead. You can, you can reason this out of the Psalms. You can just reason out of the, the very fact of the purpose of death. You don't need to go to the Gospels and run to the tomb yourself and look around. You, you'll be in danger of being called a fool who's slow to understand. You should know these things. So that's why I said the question of the evidences assumes things you already know coming into them. So how can we know if only God is eternal? You might check out my YouTube page, Dr. Owen Anderson, where I have numbers of videos on this. And then I have even more videos for my Patreon subscribers. My Patreon account is Dr. Owen Anderson. So you might think, oh, here he is. This is the advertisement. No, no, it's just that I have other work. I've done, I've done more than just this video and it might benefit you if you're interested in this kind of thing. But how can we know only God is eternal? Well, to say it's clear that only God is eternal takes us back up to the section above on reason. A is A. Without beginning is without beginning. It's a clear distinction between without beginning and beginning. We don't confuse those two. We know the difference. Now, we might attribute them to different things, and then we could argue about which one is correct, but we don't confuse those two ideas. We know if it had no beginning, we know what that means it doesn't have a beginning. So that's clear. And so we'd have to go through and show that it's clear that only God's eternal. The material world is not eternal. My soul is not eternal. Some combination of the two in, in uh, dualistic systems is not eternal. No, only God's eternal, God the creator. And, and, and sin is in unbelief. It's that way from the very beginning in the temptation, where they're tempted to say, you can be as God, knowing good and evil. You can be the creator and know good and evil the way the creator knows good and evil. It's not no good and evil simpliciter, or else they wouldn't know it's good to keep commands. It's no good and evil as God does. God is the creator and he knows it eternally. He creates it. So the very first sin was a, a revelation of unbelief. And it's interesting because here they were, it says in some sense they're walking with God. You can have that experience that evidence and not get it. And people think somehow if in the future, if they go to heaven and they see some beatific vision, that will somehow uh, set everything right. Well, I mean, here they are walking with God. They didn't get it. So it's your mind in the use of reason to understand the works of God and what the works of God reveal about God, how you come to know God. How many times if you're going through the Psalms, are the, psalm, are the psalms praising the works of God and telling us to consider them and remember them? This was also what God told Job 
God didn't tell Job, just wait until you die. You'll go to heaven, you'll see me, and it'll set everything right. No, God asked Job over and over, have you considered my works? And you might check that out. I have a recent commentary on Job, uh, philosophical commentary of Job, also on Amazon, because I think this is really teaching us how to do philosophy. The book of Job is about that. So we can and should know that only God is eternal and that we've had sin of unbelief and that the only way for that to be overcome is through the atoning death of Christ. Another has to be in our place. We can't do it ourselves because we're the ones who need the payment. So if it's to be done at all, it would be someone else who represents us. So it would have to be a human, but not only a human. So what are the alternatives? Well, no, no, you don't need a vicarious atonement. Good works on your part. Like you've been in sin up until now, but you heard this message. So from here on out, you only are good. Works, righteousness. And some of the theistic religions go that way. Or, well, God is merciful and just doesn't care about your sins. He's not really just. Of course, if God is just, he holds us responsible. You wouldn't want an actual judge in the court of law and a, a, a murderer is found guilty and say, but you know what? Hey, just forget it. Keep going. We want justice. We just may not like it when it comes to us. So only the death of Christ explains how God is both just and merciful. Now, what I've done here is I've opened us up to how we can answer this question. I've given the outlines of an answer, and you might want more details. And so I hope you will uh, join me on YouTube or on Patreon, Dr. Owen Anderson, and uh, send me a comment, send me an email. We can keep talking about these things and get into more details about them. Thanks for joining me. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of The Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedekase. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute/partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. Music